The GM Junior Show with Russ Landy and Rick Saratella is presented by Sports Management Worldwide, exclusively at NFLDraftScout.com. Back at it again. It's another edition of the GM Junior Show with Russ Landy. I am your co-host for today, Rick Saratella. Telling it like it is when it comes to the NFL draft since 2002. It's what we do. Today is April 17th, 2019. We are eight days away until Destination Nashville. Uh, If you can't tell, we're just a little bit excited here at the NFL Draft Bible. And of course, that 2019 Draft Bible is now available. We've partnered up with the NFLDraftScout.com. You can get it on their website right there in the menu bar, the 2019 Draft Guide. Go and download that bad boy and you'll be more prepared than anyone including some of the NFL teams around the league. Of course, uh, that's how we do at the NFL Draft Bible. Today's show brought to you by Sports Management Worldwide. Check out sportsmanagementworldwide.com. And, of course, we welcome in the star of the show, Russ Landy, 20 years of scouting experience having worked in the NFL, CFL, the original XFL, Rams, Browns, Alouettes. Uh, The list goes on and on. And now... Joining me on our show today, uh, Russ. Welcome on in. We're going to talk some linebackers, uh, more specifically some off-ball linebackers. But before we do, you know, we've broken down every position now from quarterback and uh, and then linebacker. Of course, next week we'll get into defensive backs. But for those at home listening that want to break into the business, that want to learn how to evaluate, that want to learn the experience, you know. Obviously, you can't teach two decades of experience, but want to be a sponge and absorb the knowledge that you've been able to acquire being in the various war rooms and understanding how to put together a scouting staff, a big board, what the process all entails. Talk a little bit about that uh, football GM and scouting course available at the Sports Management Worldwide. You know, it's not a class that you're going to take and all of a sudden, whoop, you finished the eight-week course, yep, I'm getting hired by an NFL team. But what it does is it gives you the basics, Rick, and this is stuff you learned long ago. You've been doing this. You, you said I was the star. We're really co-stars on this because you're, you're sort of a rock star in your, in your own world, too. You're just a rock star in all of this stuff. But what it does is it, it looks to back to when you and I were just getting started in this business. It teaches you the basics. Hey, when I look at each position, what are the basic things I have to scout? How do I write a report? And you send me your reports. I grade them. I give you feedback. I show you the mistakes that you're making, how you can fix those mistakes. And I also give you sort of tidbits on, hey, here are the way organizations are structured, both in the NFL, Arena League, CFL, Division One College, and here are the best ways to try to get a foot in the door. Um, the class is not, like I said, an eight-week automatic jump in the NFL. It's an eight-week hey, here are the basics of how you work in scouting, and here are some tips on how to best prepare yourself to be ahead of the other 1,000 or 2,000 people applying for every gopher internship that's in college football, the NFL Arena League. And it's something I've been doing for 12 years. We have people working in the NFL that have taken the class, the CFL, many Division One and Division Two colleges all across the country. So it's a great way to get started. But like I said, you're not going to automatically take the class order and then get hired by Bill Belichick to help him at the Patriots. Yeah, and, you know, we've had numerous, probably dozens of interns who have come through the draft Bible doors through your class. And, you know, it just it's a, it's a competitive advantage. If I got 
you know, three intern slots open and, and 20 candidates, and I know they took your course, Russ, hey, I want to say nine times out of ten, but probably ten out of ten, I'm going to go with that candidate. And, you know, it's cool because I see, like, American University up in Mass, and some of these other colleges and universities are now offering sports analytics courses in in, in college. So, yeah, you know, it's the amazing. sports management, it, it's unbelievable. And, and the sports management worldwide, you can get, you know, certified. It's almost like a trade school in eight weeks whether it's analytics, salary cap, uh, videography now is a boom in business. So there's experts uh, in each area. Check them out, sportsmanagementworldwide.com. There's all kinds of uh, courses. I think they have over 80 online courses. Esports now is a big booming one. So uh, if you're you're looking to break into the business, want to get a foot in the industry, that's how you do it. Of course, if you want to learn about linebackers, well, buckle up. It's a double chin strap kind of day. Uh, we're going to break it all down right now with Russ and Rick Saratella right now. So with that being said, Russ, before we talk about some of these prospects, what are you looking at You know, when we hit the uh, scouting trails and, and as an evaluator, what kind of traits and characteristics are you looking at for these off-ball linebackers? Well, you know, <clears throat> Years ago, when I first got in this business at the Rams, I mean, you're middle linebacker to be a big, stout, dominant run support guy, and you just hoped he could cover his area adequately, not get exposed. Your outside guys could be a little smaller, and you wanted them to be better in coverage, but they also had to be really good at setting the edge and, and, and really controlling the run. Obviously, the last 15 years, we've seen dramatic changes in the NFL. We've seen teams that don't even really feature the run. They only run when they have to. They generally throw the ball 70, 75% of the time. So what years ago, a guy like Devin White, who's six foot and although he weighed 237 at the combine, probably played in the 220s, 30s at LSU, a guy like him would have been considered, wow, he's short. I don't know where he fits in terms of size. How are we going to fit him in? In today's NFL, Guys like him are perfect. I don't need the 6'4 guy. I mean, don't get me wrong. If I can find a 6'4", 250-pound guy that runs in the 4'4s and can cover like Brian Urlacher, yeah, I'm going to take him. But I, I want guys who can cover. That's the number one thing when I'm looking at linebackers that nowadays is i got to have guys that can cover, especially when you see what Bill Belichick, Andy Reid, the Philadelphia Eagles, what they've all done is they have identified, and they did this about 15 years ago, and it's just become bigger and bigger and bigger over the years. They, they realize that the biggest advantage there is in terms of throwing the ball is to running backs who are covered by linebackers and slot receivers who get matched up against third, fourth, and sometimes safe, third, fourth cornerbacks and sometimes safeties or occasionally a linebacker. That's an enormous advantage in terms of guys getting open. So teams attack that. So if you have linebackers that are limited athletically and really can't cover, you're putting yourself at a huge disadvantage. Now, obviously, teams like Pittsburgh, who run a 34, their outside guys are a little less coverage-oriented because they're coming off the edges pass rushers so much. But their inside guys have to excel in coverage because they have to cover such a large area. So generally, a linebacker who's going to be a three-down linebacker in the NFL who can't cover or is below average in coverage, the value is really low in today's NFL. Uh, great points. You know, uh, the days of Jasper Brinkley, man, in the middle linebacker spot are long gone in the NFL. And, you know, it's interesting what you said about the bigger linebackers. I, I was looking at the the big board here at the draft Bible as you were talking. And, you know, our, our top ten linebackers, only two guys are taller than six foot two. 
which is incredible to me. So it, it, it's a, a great point in terms of how the NFL has evolved. You know, a lot of times it's it's discussed on the offensive side, the impact it's made in the passing game. Well, it also impacts and affects the defensive side of the ball, and I, I think you hit the nail on the head with that one there. With that being said, um, I would say, I would argue, Russ, that this position group here in this year's draft class, uh, obviously Devin White and Devin Bush – are the two, you know, clear-cut guys that are first-round bound. But, you know, I, I take a look at this linebacker class, and honestly, between, you know, 5 and 25, I mean, you could you could probably rank those guys in any which order you want. You talk to people around the league. This year's linebacker rankings are all over the board. Uh, who are the top guys that you're seeing? Well, you know, firstly, you mentioned White and Bush, um, I agree with you. I mean, after those two, there's definitely a drop-off. But there's so many guys to me. When I see the kid Pratt from NC State, the kid Cashman from Minnesota, Conley at Notre Dame, all the way down to guys like Holcomb out of North Carolina, um, even the kid Hanks at New Mexico State. I mean, there's a lot of talent this year. And I think it's not so much that it's easier to find linebackers, but I think what this class is showing is if you're willing to put your preconceived notions of my linebackers have to be 6'2 and above, and you just look at guys that are 220 pounds plus that can be anywhere from 5'10 to 6'2, and you're looking for athletes, there's a lot more to choose from. And I think this class accentuates that. I mean, Holcomb from UNC, 6'1, basically 230 pounds, tremendous athlete, moves around very well in space. Conley, Notre Dame, just under 6'1", 244, athletic kid who can run. So when you look at this class, there's a lot of guys that fit that mold. They may not be the big physical guys who are going to be dominant, taking on blockers and cramming the run, but if you want a guy who can drop, who can cover, who can pick up tight ends, who can even handle himself if he's got to cover a James White out of the backfield or Melvin Gordon on route, a wheel route, these are guys that can do those things, and it's so vital in today's NFL. And that's part of the reason, to me, that you get past those truly elite guys, and a lot of them are ranked similarly because you're looking for athletic guys who can cover. There's a lot of them in this year's draft. There are, indeed. And, you know, I'm taking a look at some of these guys. You mentioned Holcomb. He, he ran like a 4-4 something at his pro day, and the production is there, uh, but not invited to the combine. So, Historically speaking, it's hard to not be invited. If you're not invited to the Combine, to go on day one or day two is extremely difficult. I know P.J. Hall, I think from Sam Houston State a year or two ago, did uh, was taken in the third round by the Raiders. But rarely do you see these guys taken higher than day three. So it'll be interesting to see how some of these things shake out. And, you know, uh, real quickly, you know, I'm looking at a guy like Mac Wilson from Alabama – who, you know, listen, the production wasn't there, but you look at him physically, he just looks the part of an NFL linebacker. And I think sometimes, you know, guys like that can get pushed up the board. Uh, we've, we talked about Rashawn Gary in previous episodes, how, you know, the athletic traits are there. Maybe the college production isn't, but you take a look at the pedigree, Michigan, Alabama, and you say, hey, you know what, the coaches – get involved in the process. They say, hey, give me this lump of clay. We can work with that. Um, the other guy I want to ask you about a perception because I've been having this debate and, you know, people keep telling me they're high on Cody Barton. They're high on Cody Barton. Six foot two and a half, 240 pounds. 
exceptional athlete, four six four forty. But uh, Russ, this kid's going to be a twenty four year old rookie. You know, how many times do you come across that instance where you know, and, and you know, I'm not trying to label the Utah kids, but a lot of these typical uh, Utah, you know, Mormon mission. Uh, they take two years off from football. They come out for the draft, and they're going to be turning 25 years old their first year of an NFL training camp. For that reason, it's just hard for me to put him higher. I have him, you know, 20th, but I could I could state a case that maybe he's 10th or maybe he's 5th. How do you factor in the age equation? Well, firstly, you have to take it into consideration because the reality is, in the NFL, when you're drafting players, you're looking to find, I mean, obviously, everybody wants to find all pros. But even if you don't find all pros, you want to find guys who can develop into solid starters. They get a year or two as a backup. And especially that day three of the draft, you're trying to find a few guys that eventually can replace a starter who's going to leave in free agency. Because smart teams don't re-sign all their guys because some of them are not as good as the perception. They don't want to overpay. So a good team is always developing young guys. And when you look at Barton, I think you nailed it perfectly. I think athletically, size-wise, he has a lot of the skills you want. Production, he was a good football player at Utah. But if you're drafting and you're in that fifth or sixth round and you're saying, okay, are we going to choose him or are we going to choose the Okereke kid from Stanford or the Cameron Smith from USC, okay, all of them are viewed equally. Say if you're in a team and they're on your board and you say, well, do we want to take the kid who's going to be 25 this year or the kid who's going to be 22? If we have them equal, you're always going to take the younger kid because if he can be there for two contracts and be a seven- or eight-year player for you, even if he's not a starter, there's value in a real top backup, a guy who can be a game-day backup at all three positions, all three linebacker positions, and contribute on special teams. There's value there. And with a guy like Barton, say you draft him, He's a backup for a year or two, becomes a starter in his third year. That means by the time his fourth year is over and he's a free agent, he's 29 with a year and a half, maybe two as a starter. Unless he's special, the odds are you're not going to re-sign him. Whereas if you get a guy that's younger, he becomes a free agent 25, 26, you're more likely to say, yep, he's not special, but he's only 26, he's going to get better. That's 29, there's not much chance he's going to dramatically improve at that point. So it's not that you eliminate older guys, but they lose a lot of tiebreakers is probably the best way to say it. When you start matching up guys that are equal in terms of your draft grade, whether it's linebacker or another position, you're going to stack him below a lot of the guys that are ranked equally just because of the age. You know, one other thing, and that's exactly right, that's the age bias. Let me talk to you about the speed bias because I remember, you know, I don't know how many years back it was, but Manti Teo coming out and everybody was worried. I mean, the whole uh, fishtail or the fish gate or whatever uh, happened with that. But (laughs) the more important thing was the 40 time, and I remember – you know, I don't know what the cutoff is these days, but I remember specifically when Teow came out, you know, listen, if if you run above a 4.72 or a 4.75, I mean, it's hard as a linebacker to get taken in the first round. And I think he ran a 4.78, 4.78 and went at the top of the second if if memory serves correct. And you know, I'm looking at these Clemson linebackers now, Russ, where you know, to me, if a linebacker runs a 5-0 flat, I mean, typically that's a death sentence in the NFL. Uh, however, you know, I've spoken to some very well-respected people 
for example, that still have Trey Lamar as one of the, uh, the top five linebackers in this year's draft. Now, he ran a 4.95. Uh, Kendall Joseph ran a 4.97. But obviously, the production, uh, Joseph, I think, had almost 100 tackles each of the last three seasons. They've played key roles on championship teams. Uh, what is the draft prognosis for these guys? Because these are probably two of the hardest players I have uh, in terms of pegging their projection. Well, you know, it's one of the great questions, especially now, because if you look back 15 years ago, yeah, you worried about the 40 for a middle linebacker, but it wasn't a desperate thing. If you remember Chris Spielman, he ran a 505, and he ends up going in the top of the second instead of the first because he ran so poorly he had a great career before he got injured. In today's NFL, you really have to determine if you have a linebacker that runs in the 4.8s, 4.9s, or the 5s, the low 5s, you have to really go back and watch that film and be really sure that against the best competition, those factors, that the lack of quick twitch, the lack of pure speed, didn't show up. Now, with guys, ideally with Lamar and Joseph, the great thing is they've played elite teams. They've played in some of the biggest games against the best teams in the country. So you can go back and watch that film, and you'll get four or five opportunities in each game to see, okay, how does he accelerate? How does he do chasing a guy that we know is a fast player? And it gives you a chance to really figure out, okay, does he time poorly and is a fast player, or is he time poorly, or does he time poorly and really isn't as fast as we thought? And that's one of those things that's really difficult to get a feel for, and that's why you have to go back, you have to watch a lot of film, and you have to be very confident that his playing speed is good enough. And that's one of the things that different teams do it different ways. Some teams on the draft board will have a player's height, weight, and his 40-time Whatever the fastest one that was that he timed at at the combine pro day, whatever it may be, other teams have the height, weight, and they have playing speed on the card, and that often will be their forty time. But a lot of times, teams will adjust that because they feel very confident from watching the film that this player either plays faster or slower than his forty time. So with those two guys from Clemson, I think the biggest thing for them is you have to go back as an organization and really feel confident that at 6'3", 250 for Lamar, that this kid who ran a 4.95, that he legitimately has enough quickness and speed to function in the NFL, and you need to see that against the best opponents. If you see that, you probably can feel comfortable saying, yep, he's never going to be a speed demon, but he's probably good enough to where he can function and be productive in the NFL. And that's it's one of the great things or hardest things about the NFL is when a guy that you think is fast runs slow, is figuring out were you wrong in evaluating how fast he played or is he just a bad 40 guy? Because there are a lot of guys, whether you look at Terrell Suggs who ran a 4.96 when he came out, to Chris Spielman running a 5.05, or even going back to uh, Jerry Rice running in the 4.6s and Everson Walls running in the 4.6s. You have to be sure to see what their playing speed is compared to that 40 time. It's very difficult. It's not easy. Rush uh, dropping the gems on them. I, I know I remember these guys playing. I'm not sure how many of our listening audience they might have to Google exactly. some of these guys. <laughs> but hey, you know, uh, I'll put Terrell Hanks too. You mentioned him earlier in the show. New Mexico State runs a four nine eight at the combine, and you know, finalizing the draft bible. I'm looking at the board now. I probably overreacted, and yeah, you know, listen, 18 years doing this, it still happens, right? Because I probably had a day two grade on him based on his senior bowl performance. 
and then he runs a 498 at the the combine and history tells me hey he's going to be a day 3 guy but you know for me personally I, I, like i said these guys are so evenly matched and i think that's where the combine does come into play he winded up with a 7th round grade on the board but hey if i took a guy like hanks in the 4th round i'm still feeling pretty good about that yep and the other thing you have to remember is Although the 40 is not good, one of the things that NFL teams are really doing now is because of the advent of analytics is they combine the 40, vertical, short shuttle, all of these. To have, they have different metrics. Some teams use the Spark score, which is developed a number of years ago um, and used really by the Seahawks, made it popular in the NFL. But a lot of teams have a, uh, sort of a triangle, three or four different things they throw in. So even if his 40 time is not great, if his short shuttle – and his three cone, and if it's a DB, his 60, if those three come out good, then you say, you know what, yeah, he may not be a blazer when we just do in the 40, but we see he can change directions. We can see he's got flexibility and can do things in the three cone in terms of test-wise that that may counteract some of that bad 40. So the beautiful thing of analytics is they're running so many different sort of analytics numbers that you can't just put all the weight on the 40 and be petrified because there are other numbers that factor into it, which I think helps a lot of these guys that are really good football players but may not be the best testers in one specific test but are generally okay in other tests. Yeah, no doubt about it. And then you got guys like Blake Cashman and Ben Burke-Curvin that are just, you know, athletically above and yeah. beyond a lot of these other guys. So uh, Russ Landy, Rick Saratella breaking down some off-ball linebackers counting you down to the 2019 NFL Draft. And, hey, if you're tuned in, you like what you hear, if you're listening on iTunes or Stitcher or Blog Talk Radio, of course, here on NFLDraftScout.com, please spread the word, like it, share it. Even better, if you can comment on it, it just improves our uh, rankings and the search and the iTunes and all that good stuff. And, uh, man, this has been the most popular podcast that we've done here on the NFL Draft Bible, and, you know, we've been doing podcasts uh, for well over a decade. So, uh, Russ, we appreciate you taking the time to do this each week. And uh, I, I, I know the listening audience is getting an education because I get an education every week just listening to you speak. So we do appreciate it. Now, let's talk about, you know, uh, the media world, which is different than the NFL war room world where, you know, the, the media world, where there's always hype or lack of hype, uh, especially this time of year. So who's a guy that you're seeing out there, you know, that's kind of being, uh, you know, overrated? And a lot of times, again, the media hype comes into play and say, oh, man, this guy's awesome, this guy's awesome, and you keep seeing it and you're saying to yourself, well, I'm not seeing it that way. Or, you know what, I spoke to a couple teams, and that's not exactly how they have this player graded. Who's that guy for you? Well, you know, you mentioned him earlier, and I think you nailed it on the screws. Is he's a tough guy to figure out as the Mac Wilson kid from Alabama because he looks the part just like you said. He looks exactly what you want. His 40 time, 471, not great, but more than fine at 240 pounds. But when I watch Alabama, and you described this perfectly, I don't see him making the plays that some of those other Alabama linebackers that have come out in the last four, five, six years – that have become productive NFL guys. I don't see him doing that. Now, he'll make some where he has a clear path and he can just run and fill. He makes some dominant plays. But when I watch this kid, I see a kid who's a little bit tight, 
who, when he has to change directions or move through traffic, he's not as nimble as I'd like. And that concerns me because in the NFL, like we talked about, if you're not nimble, if you're not agile, it's hard for you to be productive in pass coverage. And that's where I wonder how he's going to fit. Now, if I'm a team that's playing at 34 and he's going to be one of my two inside guys, I probably feel a little bit more comfortable saying, yeah, he's not going to have to cover as much if I'm not going to blitz my guys all the time. He's going to have a smaller area. He can be a little bit more protected. I might be a little more comfortable. But if I have to play this guy out in space a ton, I'm very concerned about his agility and his flexibility. Now, can he run down plays in pursuit? No question at all. Is he going to compete hard? Can he get through um, blockers? Can he make violent hits? All that, no doubt. I just am concerned about the true athleticism and his production. I don't see every single game each quarter. There are times where I don't see him make an impact. And he, to me, is a guy that's – I have real questions as to whether he can make the same amount of plays in the NFL that he did at Alabama. And at Alabama, I didn't think he was a super productive guy. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's interesting that you bring that up because, again, as you're talking, I'm getting educated. I'm going back to the big board. I'm I'm crossing my T's and dotting my I's, and that's what we do here uh, last week of the draft. And, hey, I'm looking at it now, and he's got one of the worst 10-yard splits, uh, you know, and, and the worst 10-yard split of our top 12 or 13 linebackers. So the only guys worse are the Clemson guys that we talked about. So I think there's some, some real credence uh, to some of the things you just mentioned, which, you know, Hey, it went, and again, Russ, it's so crazy. These linebackers like Mac Wilson, I wouldn't be surprised if he went in the second round and I wouldn't be surprised if he went day three. Yeah. I mean, and, and truthfully, I wouldn't even be shocked if he went in the first, I really wouldn't. I mean, every yeah. coaching staff, every, every GM, they all have their different things they like. And, and I know, for a fact that there are teams, I mean, still teams, even in today's day and age with passing being the way to go and all that stuff, there are teams that place a lot of value on physical aggressiveness, physical play and aggressiveness from a linebacker, and size does matter to some of those teams. So while he's only 6'1 and 1 8, he's 240 pounds. At running a 4'7 at 240 is not, not a, a bad number, and this kid will hit. He plays aggressively. So I could see some teams saying, you know what? We're going to have some limitations with him in terms of drops and pass coverage, but this kid who's going to run to the ball, he's going to attack every single play, and we're going to coach him on the finer points of coverage. So although he'll never be great, he'll always go to the right place. We'll be able to get him in position, so we'll deal with it. So I could see him going in the first, and and, and just like you said, it's definitely possible he could be a guy that slides. He's one of those guys that's hard to pin down where he's going to go, whereas other guys like Devin White, I mean, Forget he could be a second rounder. Shoot, this kid is, I'd be surprised if he gets out of top 15. Because in today's NFL, linebackers that are elite in coverage, like Luke Keekley, like Miles Jack, where everybody expected him to be, those guys don't go in the second and third round if they're 100% healthy. They go top 15 because they're so valuable in today's NFL. So that, that to me is what's so unique is certain guys you know exactly, you're pretty sure where they're going in terms of area. This guy to me, I don't know. I, I agree with you. He could be a first-day pick. He could be a day-three pick to me. He's a tough guy to get a feel for. Yeah, and again, I'm looking at the uh, physical attributes. And, you know, of the top 30 linebackers on our board, only seven guys, seven, are 240 pounds or more. So, again, just speaks to the point that you made earlier in the show. Uh, Devin White, you know, listen, I could see him as high as the Buccaneers who – 
I think they're picking somewhere around four or five. They just desperately need a an inside linebacker. I could I could even see him if Denver bypasses a quarterback at number ten. I could see Devin White there, but I agree with you. I think he's in the top half of the first round, uh, without a doubt. Uh, let's flip it and Especially reverse it now on the opposite. If, if yeah. I'll say this, though. If you're the Raiders with three first-round picks in today's NFL mm-hmm. that's throwing all the time, and you have to go against Phillip Rivers one time a year, and you have to go against uh, Pat Mahomes another time, how are you not looking at Devin White saying, Pfft. We're going, to, we're going to get an elite coverage linebacker. We're going to find a way to get him with one of our picks because this shores sure. us up against those tight ends, Hunter Henry, Travis Kelsey. I mean, those guys are beasts, and you have an elite quarterback thrown to them. You better have a guy who can cover those guys. So I wouldn't be shocked if somehow the Raiders ended up moving around in that first round with those three first-round picks and grabbing White. He fits what they need. I don't know if that, he fits their scheme, but he fits what they need, in my opinion, in that division. And in North, He's a great fit. Well, you know, Gruden, he, he remembers the time you know, the time when he had Derek Brooks, man, in that middle. Uh, not yep. to put, <laughs> you know, not to put that that yellow jacket comparison on the kid, but hey, that's the kind of impact uh, that Devin White can make. Boy, he's flying at four four two, six foot two thirty seven. The production backs it up. That's going to be an immediate impact player for sure. Um, all right, we talked about an overrated guy, Russ. I always like to know about the underrated guys, opposite end of the spectrum. Who's a who's a linebacker that's just getting that Rodney Dangerfield uh, kind of treatment out there? Just no respect, I tell you. Well, you know, it's funny. I want to pick a guy like a Cashman from Minnesota, but I, he, he, we all know he's going to be drafted pretty early. We already talked about the Holcomb kid. Um, this is a kid who, because of his testing, I think he's going to go higher than people think. Um, I'll give you two guys. David Long, linebacker out of West Virginia, undersized guy, not a real big kid. He's about 5'11", 225. When, you, when I watched West Virginia this year um, and, and when I watched some teams going against them trying to grade some players, this is a kid that just jumped out. I'm not saying he's an elite special athlete, but he jumped on the film. He made plays that made me take notice and say, dang, this kid's got something to him. There's something there to work with. I, I think he's a kid that I don't know if he's going to make an immediate impact and become a starter quickly, but I could see this kid making a team, being a really good backup on special teams, and having one or two games this year where he makes one or two big plays on special teams that are, are like highlight real things that everybody's talking about. And then slowly, a year down the road, he starts to get playing time. There's something about him that makes me say, hmm, there's something there. And I'll throw another thing out there. Even though we're talking primarily off-the-ball linebackers, the Chase Winovich kid from Michigan, this is a kid that Mm -hmm. I think is being underrated because I think he could even do some stuff off the ball. If you're a team that played at 34, but you really want to use a guy that that rushes but also does a lot of stuff in coverage to to make – the defense more unpredictable, I think this is a guy that could do that. And I'm not saying he's a rare special athlete, but I think he's athletic enough to be used in certain spots, drop him in the middle, drop him to the flat, to where you won't expose his lack of elite athletic ability, and it makes him a more valuable linebacker. I'm not saying he's at the level of a Devin White or any of these kids in terms of how he can help in coverage, but in terms of a guy that I think he's being pegged strictly as a rusher, I think he's got some value as a guy that can be used in a variety of areas and could really help a team mask what they're doing defensively because you could drop him, because you could rush him. He does some unique things. That's interesting. Uh, 
you know, uh, as we discussed on the last podcast, you and I differ, and I think a lot of the league differs on what Chase Winovich is. No, I'm so curious five years from now to see what Chase Winovich becomes because, to me, that's a case study. Yeah, I mean, that's – you talk to scouts, I mean, it's just completely divided. Either you, it's it's like one of those prospects, either you love him or you hate him. There's no in between with Chase Winovich. There's no in between. He's a first-round pick <laughs> or an undrafted guy. It's one of those crazy yeah. situations. <laughs> All right, one last guy I want to throw out there to you, um, Sutton Smith. We t- you know, because you, you brought up Chase Winovich. I want to bring up Sutton Smith, Northern Illinois, um, 58 and a half career tackles for a loss. 30 career sacks. However, I interviewed him at the Senior Bowl. I'm six foot on the button. I've had players even question me that on Russ. Uh, or <laughs> Russ, I've had players question me on that out in the field, and, and, and maybe I've shrunk in my older age and maybe five foot 11, but I'm going to give myself six foot tall. I felt like I was towering over Sutton Smith, who, you know, I see him here. He came in at six foot and three eighths inches. But to me, at six foot, 233 pounds, you know, you're just not going to play the edge at the next level. So, therefore, I have him slotted in on our off-ball linebacker rankings, but he comes in at number 29. Am I being too harsh on the kid? Am I I penalizing him too much for his lack of size? Well, I don't know if you're penalizing him too much. If he were an elite athlete like Brian Burns, we wouldn't care that he was 230. We'd say, okay, that's fine. But he doesn't look like that. When you watch the film, he is, he's, he's decent athletically, but a lot of his stuff that he does in college is he, he's a great football intelligence guy. He's got great instincts, great awareness. He plays like it's the last time he's ever going to step on the football field. Um, when I look at him, my problem is, and it's sort of what you're talking about, is I'm trying to figure out where, do I, where can I play this guy. Because clearly he was down at the Senior Bowl, from watching him, he is not a guy I'm going to put out in space and say, yep, you're a coverage linebacker. I don't see that. I see a guy that is a little bit tight for playing out in space as a linebacker, not a guy who's going to flip his hips and change directions particularly well. Um, And when I look at him to say, okay, maybe I'll use him as a 34 rush linebacker, I think that's probably where teams will try him. But the issue is, and you've seen him, you stood right up close to him, I think that 233, I think he's only – almost maxed out. He is so muscular and ripped up. I don't know mm-hmm. if you're going to be able to add much weight to this kid. Clearly, he's a hard-working kid. Now, the great thing is, you know he's going to run down the field and, and just be willing to knock people's heads off. He's going to do whatever you ask him to do. So I think at least he's going to be a backup guy who can be a really good special teams guy, and he can probably fill in as a your fourth pass rusher early on. You have three primary guys, but if you need a guy for five or six snaps, you can throw him out there. You can also probably even throw him out there in goal line situations as an inside linebacker and just let him attack. So he has some value. But the question is, does he ever grow to be more than that sort of role filler guy? I don't know if he does because I really think he's the classic. And we haven't used the word in many of our podcasts, Rick, but you and I use it probably all the time in discussions is he's a tweener. He doesn't have a true position. He's a pass rusher who's tiny, and he's not athletic enough to play off the ball. So where do you fit this kid? And you hate to eliminate a guy and say, oh, he has no chance, don't draft him. So you don't do that. But I really wonder three years from now where he can fit in the NFL if he has a home or if this can be a guy who gets three years, plays special teams, he's a backup, and when he's about to get that fourth season, he gets replaced by a younger guy because the younger guy is faster and can do more things. Because I just don't know where this guy fits 
long term in the NFL, I don't think he's a starter. Yeah, I think long term uh, Sutton Smith will be a stud in the XFL. I hate to do it to you, Sutton. I'm sorry. Uh, listen, Russ, we're going to put a ribbon on this uh, show before we do. Any other linebacker? It seems like we covered uh, quite a few well, linebackers. The one thing I'll say, the kid from Notre Dame I like, Conley. I like that yeah. kid. I think he's a little underrated in the media. This is a kid I think has got a chance to be a starter. Um, I like the kid. Um if we're going to talk bigger guys, 244, runs in the four sevens, and, and similar to the kid from Alabama, this kid's not a game-breaker athletically, but I think he's a little smoother than the kid from Alabama. I think he's got a little bit better feel out in space. I just think this is a kid that in that third, fourth round, you might be able to get a real value as opposed to taking a guy who might be a little bit better in that first second. This kid's a good football player. I wouldn't be shocked if two years down the road he's starting for somebody in the NFL. Agree. Uh, Coney's been on the NFL draft Bible radar, it seems like, forever. So, he, you know, he put together um, very, very solid season. So, uh, hey, this has been uh, fantastic. And, you know, the clarity was much needed because, again, I thought, you know, coming into this year's draft, this was the cloudiest. You know, you you want to talk about living in the fog, uh I, I talk to different scouts on different teams, and I just get different feedback and, and, and ranges on all these guys. So it's nice to uh, flush out the thought process, Russ, and and uh, kind of pick your brain on things. And, of course, you know, you, you've you been doing this for two decades with the NFL, CFL, XFL. Um, give, me, give me a war room story. Give me a scouting flashback. Give me, give me some kind of uh, memory here on a linebacker either a success story or a failed story or just a, a scouting lesson in general if you could share with us. You know, one of the great lessons that I learned was we, there was a kid when I was at uh, the Browns that I covered in the Midwest, um, and I went to the school, went there three times because it was a big school, and he was a really productive starting linebacker. But when you watched him, you thought, he's probably more of a backup guy. He's about six foot, about 225, 230. Going to be a backup guy, special teams guy. Should be elite. Um, you speak to everybody at the school, they rave about the kid. Literally, I spoke to everybody at the school, from the head coach to the pro liaison, the trainers, the equipment guy. Everybody swore by this kid. Best kid, team guy always, never going to complain, never anything. We get him in our building, and he played for us, and he ended up playing about eight or nine years as a backup special teams player. But I tell you what, the great lesson was, no matter how much work you do, no matter what you think you've learned about the kid, you don't know until they get the money in their hand. This kid, now not, not that he was a bad kid getting arrested, but he became an arrogant guy, didn't want to listen to coaches, thought he had it all figured out, did whatever he wanted to do, a lot of time in practice, didn't do all the things he was asked. Now he played and was a really good special teams player for us because he was so good that we just kept playing him. But I tell you what, he wasn't the guy we thought he was in terms of team first, always doing this, always doing that to help the team. It was, how do I make myself a bigger name? How do I get my name out there more so I can be this guy? And it was really odd that all the work we had done, and I had spoken to a ton of people, like I said, that this guy turned out to be that guy. I was stunned. And it was one of the great lessons I learned was, hey, you have to, even when you do all your work, it's never 100%. So never come in and say there's no chance this guy will ever be a problem because 
you never know. It's such a crazy business like that. Yeah, you got you got to give yourself some leeway in the evaluation always because you just don't know. And, you know, again, as you're talking, I'm thinking now, I just discovered this uh, new series on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, of course, you know, ESPN makes you now pay to watch the CFL, so I have to subscribe to the ESPN+. Plus. And, you know, the other day, I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm trying to fall asleep to something. I go to ESPN+. Plus. Hey, what's 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 on the playlist here i've seen this show draft academy which i'm surprised because espn maybe i just don't watch enough tv or espn in general i haven't seen this promoted at all there's an eight eight uh episode series called draft academy where they're following these high profile prospects around leading up to the draft and i won't name the player but the example you just gave us as I'm watching this show, and it's eight episodes, I'm probably about four or five episodes in, there's a player there on that show that, based on his attitude and his body language, the way he looks at coaches when, when he's being coached up, I'm saying to myself, you know what? There's something, there's something about his attitude. Just, and, and there's a lot to be said about attitude without saying anything. It could be body language. It could just be you know, the vibes that you give off. And, you know, it's interesting that, you know, the agents put their players out there on this platform, on this TV show, because as you know, TV can make you look good, it can make you look bad. No uh, and maybe, And maybe I'm reading too much into it, but it, it's pretty intriguing uh, to watch it. And, you know, like you said, and, it, and this kid is, is targeted to be a first-round pick, so I wonder... You know, I'm curious to you if you watch this show. Will you will you put any weight or, or consideration into that? Well, I tell you what. When you see a show like that, if if the kid acts differently than what you see, you sure as heck better get going and doing your homework. I mean, because the reality is that's your job. I mean, and if anything pops up that makes you say, "Why is this kid acting like this?" I got to find out. So yeah, if you're not paying attention to everything out there. To me, you're, you're not doing your job as a scout. You've got to be out there trying to figure out everything there is to make sure you're not missing anything. So 100%, I would bet every team has told their area scouts, hey, you check out if any of your prospects are on this show, you better make sure you watch it to see if what you're seeing on the show matches up with what we know about the kid, at least what we thought we knew about this kid. So 100%, you better be on top of that. All right. Well, uh, this has been another enlightening podcast edition of the GM Junior Show. Russ, we'll be back to uh, wrap up our positional preview series with the defensive backs next week. And, uh, you know, for those of you tuning in and, and like what we do, hey, I'll have, you know, starting Sunday, I think we've got a podcast lined up every day next week from Sunday through Sunday. So seven days of podcast action, of course, We'll be back next week uh, breaking down some uh, defensive backs. We'll see if we can get Russ on one of our other uh, draft shows during the draft weekend. I'll be on any draft show with Big Time Rick. Uh, Hey, there you go. Just another reason to tune in, folks. So there you have it. It's official. Uh, We'll be back uh, with shows next week. Of course, we'll have uh, Director of College Scouting Joe Everett will be joining us. Uh, original NFL Draft Bible alumni John Murphy will be joining us. Uh, we have some other special guests 
lined up that we'll announce as we get uh, closer to those shows. We'll have Russ Landy. You can follow him at Russ Landy. Of course, uh, sportsmanagementworldwide.com. I've got to give a shout-out to them uh, and, and everything they do. I did a wonderful, wonderful interview uh, with Mr. John Wooten earlier this week. If Legend. you didn't catch it, it's what Oh, my God. Russ, real quick here because we're, we're running out of time, but I got to say that was one of the most enlightening interviews uh, of anybody I ever – and, and we ran out of time. I told them, I said, I, either I'm going to drive down to Texas and come hang out with you or we're going to have to do another show. Just the, the education, the stories, the legends this man uh, has been around. Just speaking to him, I feel like some of his, his greatness rubbed off on me. Can you share a quick uh, story that you have, you have you ever met him in person? Have you ever encountered him? A John Wooten story here quickly. I've definitely I've met him a number of times because he's been a part of SMWW teaching classes for over a decade. The thing that's amazing every time I spend time with him is he literally has worked with almost all the legends in this business and makes sense because he's a legend. So he can talk about stories of when the AFL and the NFL were competing, about when minority players were not getting their opportunities in the league. He has so many unbelievable stories about the NFL how it's become the powerhouse it is today. He's truly a legend both as a person and as a scout. There are very few that will ever achieve the greatness that Mr. Wooten has in his career. My God, uh, what, a, what, a, um, what a great, great conversation. I definitely recommend you, if you're a football fan, some of the stories he shared going back to uh, Tech Scram and, and Gil Brandt and, uh, and Tom Landry and then he was actually part of that whole transition when Jerry Jones came in and brought in Jimmy Johnson and uh, all the all the Hall of Famers and legends he's been around and he himself being a college football Hall of Fame inductee. Uh, just a wonderful interview, so check out that. Of course, you can go back and check out the archives of uh, the GM Junior Show, all of our positional preview shows and, and counting you down to the draft. And, you know, the great thing is if you missed out on an episode, you can go back, check out the archives get up to speed and definitely if you want to be better prepared for the draft whether you're in the business and work in the industry or you're just a fan and you want to impress your friends come draft weekend sitting around uh putting some soda pops back hey check us out we appreciate all the love and support special thanks to russ landy nfl draft scout sports management worldwide for rick saratella we'll be back at it again very very soon Thank you, everybody. The GM Junior Show with Russ Landy and Rick Saratella is presented by Sports Management Worldwide, exclusively at NFLDraftScout.com.